Well, let me give you a little bit of a story behind that because I did know not, not I did not know what he was going to sing, and to be honest, I've never heard that song in my life that I know of, but it fits perfectly this morning of what I'm going to speak on. Last week, uh, of course, Robert was you know back and he was scheduled, but Robert got sick and couldn't be here this morning. He called me and says, uh, "Do you mind if I ask me if, if Dennis?" And, Eric is going to be in town this weekend. I said, well, I think they are, but I'm not, I'm not really sure. He said, you mind if I call him and see if he can fill in? I said, well, go for it. And sure enough, he was, or they were. And so that's how it came about. But to be in prayer for Robert, of course, he's just recovered from that uh, foot he had operated on here recently. But now he's got the, I think it's just the, the allergies in the air. But nonetheless, uh, be in prayer for him as, as he recovers and hopefully be back this week. But that song went so perfectly for what, and again, I've never heard that song, not that I know of anyway, but I want to just, I love doing a little series, because you get more out of it, you get to talk about different things, and so today we're starting a three-part series, I was going to do a four-part, but uh, Chris talked me out of it, he said, no, three parts enough, but no, I, I didn't, that's not true, but, but it, uh, I want to start a series about did you know, for the topic of each one of them, today we're looking at, you can be forgiven for anything. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how horrendous it was. You can be forgiven for it. In fact, let me just start by asking you a question. Who would you consider the most evil dictator of the last century? Let me give you four choices. Saddam Hussein, Adolf Hitler, Ivan the Terrible, or Joseph Stalin. Now, I want to do that again, and I want you to participate. When I call one of these names, if that's who you think is the most evil dictator that ever lived, raise your hand. Saddam Hussein, one or two. Adolf Hitler, names, hands go up all over the place. Ivan the Terrible. Probably most people don't remember him. And Joseph Stalin. Quite a few on that one. Well, the answer would be Joseph Stalin. Many people would think that Adolf Hitler, to be the answer with the horrific actions committed against the Jews in World War II. But the truth is that Joseph Stalin was responsible for over 30 million People losing their death, losing their lives. Beginning in the 1930s, as the Soviet Union massacred 8 million of the Ukrainian Holocaust and then proceeded to ravage his own country on what is known as Stalin's Red Terror. Now, with those thoughts in mind, can God forgive him? Yes, he can. Yes, he could have. Of course, he's not alive anymore, so he won't have that choice. He may have made a decision. I don't know before that. Lying, stealing, cheating, murder, crimes against children. Many people think these are unforgivable. But did you know that God... Let me back up a minute. Did you know you can be forgiven of anything you've ever done? You can be. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't. But the God that wrote this book does, and he says, you can be forgiven 
for anything you've done. Even somebody like Joseph Stalin that killed over 30 million people, children, young adults, teenagers, it didn't matter. Their life was taken from them. I know some of you are saying, no way. And you think that about somebody like Joseph Stalin or Saddam Hussein or Adolf Hitler. And you say to yourself, no way could that person ever be forgiven for what he did. In fact, you may be here today and a loved one of yours has died by murder or some other source. And you're thinking, there's no way that person could be They killed my loved one. The Bible tells us there is not a single sin that cannot be forgiven. No way could that person ever be forgiven what they did. I want to show you that you can be forgiven if you'll meet three conditions in your life. I don't care what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how many people you've hurt. It does not matter if you meet these three conditions. Number one, acknowledge the fact of your sin. Let's look at the passage we're going to read here. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. Get back to it here a minute. I'm going to ask you, Will, if you'll stand with me. Beginning of verse 8 of chapter 1, and we're going to read down uh, through. Let's see, what are we going to read here? Let me figure out. I don't want to take too much time. Eight uh, Verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this just so forward passage that we just read, that, Lord, that each one of us standing in this room have committed over and over sins in our lifetime. They may not be what Saddam Hussein did or things, sins like that, but they still separate us from the power of God. And, Lord, I believe even Christian people are living today with sin in their lives. And, Lord, we need to see how seriously you take this. Go with us, not only today, but over the next two weeks, as we look at this subject of you can know without a doubt. Go with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Acknowledge the fact of your sin. Twice in this passage we just read, it relates to people who try to deny the reality of sin. We deceive ourselves, it says. First John chapter one verse eight says, If we say excuse me, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. It doesn't bother anybody else. We deceive ourselves if we say we have no sin. That's John chapter 1, verse 8. But he says again in verse 10 of that same passage, 1 John 1, 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Now, who's the him he's talking about? Christ Jesus, of course. One of the greatest reasons why this world is filled with unforgiven people is because this world is filled with people who will not even acknowledge the fact of their own sin. Christian people and 
people outside of the church. Do you believe that Hitler thought he was sinning against the Jews when he was doing what he was? No, I don't believe he did at all. Do you believe that Stalin thought he was sinning against his own people when he killed millions of them? The very concept of sin itself has become forbidden, a forbidden word in the many pulpits across America. Did you know that today a lot of churches do not bring up the subject of sin? I don't know about you, but I think that's disgraceful. Because each one of us deal with the subject. We're being bombarded today from movies to television to media to telling us that there's no such thing as sin anymore. Just do what you want to do. Feel good. Make yourself feel good about it. There's an interesting uh, proverb that says this. Proverbs 30, verse 20. Listen to the way this says this. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. That's what we're being taught. You're not sinful. You just need to correct a few things. You need to do this. You need to do that. That's what we call a Hollywood hoax, folks. Today, extramarital sex, premarital sex, homosexuality are all presented as if they were normal, natural, necessary, needed, and not wrong in any way whatsoever. That's what the world tells us. But that's not what God says. God comes out and says, there are certain things you can't do. We won't even call it sin by its proper name. For example, people don't lie anymore. They have a credibility gap. People aren't, deci- de- de- people aren't deceitful. They're just shrewd business people. People don't commit adultery. They just have harmless affairs. People don't embezzle anymore. It is creative accounting. Doublespeak has become one of the largest problems in the English language. According to the National Council of Teachers' state-of-the-art report, here's what they cited. One stockbroker called a recent stock market crash a fourth-quarter equity retreat. Sounds good, doesn't it? The Pacific Gas and Electric Company some time ago referred to its bills as energy documents. The shutdown at General Motors not too many years ago in Massachusetts was labeled by the company as a volume-related production schedule adjustment. A recent publication, this was just not too long ago, claimed that jumping off of a tall building could lead to sudden deceleration trauma. I guess so. I'm not making this up, folks. It's too good to make up. Let me make this very, very plain to you. If you intend to have a relationship with God, once you come into his presence, you come into the ultimate place. There is no spin zone in God's kingdom. You can't spin it. You can't say, well, it all depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. No, that's baloney. It's according to what God's Word says is, is what counts. In fact, verse 10 says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his Word is not in us. 
The second thing we need to look at, the second part of it, admit the fault of your sin. The remedy for sin is not a good lawyer, not a Watergate cover-up, not a good excuse, not a convenient alibi, not the shifting blame to someone else. The remedy for sin is old-fashioned, down-and-dirty confession. Nothing else will take its place. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, let's go back and look at that verse again. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of how many sins He say? All of them. Every one. That's why I say it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter who you've betrayed. It doesn't matter how much you've stolen from someplace. God says, I'll forgive them if you'll confess them. This is where a lot of people have a problem in dealing with sin. It's one thing to acknowledge the fact of our sin. It's another thing to entirely admit to the fault of our sin. The word confess, the way I understand it, and I'm not a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination. The only Greek I know is baloney. But it's the word confess comes from the word homologio. And I may have butchered that, so just you would recognize the pre- prefix of H O M O, homo. That means the same. The word logio means to say. And it literally means as a phrase to say the same thing. When you confess sin, you say about that sin what God would say about that sin. The reason why that's so difficult is, in effect, when you confess sin, you're testifying against yourself. Did you ever think about that? When you confess yourself, you're saying, hey, I did this. I'm convinced that if the United States Supreme Court could that they would outlaw the confession of sin as being unconstitutional for the reason of the Fifth Amendment says, no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. Now think about that a minute. Let me, let me say that over a little bit. The Supreme Court, I believe, would like to abolish, they would outlaw the confession of sin as being unconstitutional. Because it doesn't do that Fifth Amendment right. No person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. That's exactly what confession is. Every time we confess, whether it's a biggie, whether it's a little one, we confess and we're confessing against nobody but ourselves. And God says, that's the way I want it. I want you to get that sin out of your life and keep it out. How many of you recognize these words? You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. Do you understand these rights? Now, if you've ever seen a TV show, I know we've got some police officers or uh, uh, soldiers, (laughs) police officers in here, and they're very familiar with that. Probably had to use it a few times. Now, I don't know if y'all have ever had to say that or not, but 
If he were, it probably wasn't a very good pitcher. But nonetheless, we're not going to go there. It's known as the Miranda Warning. Several years ago, the Supreme Court ruled that when anyone is arrested for a crime, they must be read their rights. And until they've done so, until they've done so, they had the right to remain silent. We've all heard about that. Hopefully not many of us have been in that situation, but, but we've all heard of it anyway. When it comes to the sin in your life, you don't have the right to remain silent. Well, that got quiet in here, didn't it? You can't take the Fifth Amendment. If you're going to deal with sin and deal with sin the way that it must be dealt with by God, you must confess your sin. You say, I don't like that part of it. I didn't write it. Take it up with him. I'm convinced that the average Christian today is living in spiritual defeat almost every day of his and her life because he or she does not know how to deal with sin in their life. Did you hear what I said? I believe that 99% of Christian people live with sin in their life and they wonder why they're a defeated Christian. Because God doesn't bless that. Does that mean you're not saved? No, that doesn't mean that at all. Does that not mean you can't come worship? Of course you can. But what I'm telling you is that God wants you to get the sin out of your life. And quit doing it. Because it ruins your relationship with God. It takes that what you've inherited from God and it puts it over the side almost. Let's go around along a little bit. There's only one way to deal with sin, and that's to confess that sin and confess it properly. There's only one type of sin that can, be, can defeat you if you're a Christian, and that is the unconfessed sin. That's why I say I am convinced that many, many Christian people, adults to, down to teenagers and children even, live a defeated life because you've never got before God and said, God, let me openly confess this to you. You don't have to do it in front of the church. You don't have to walk down front and let everybody hear your confessions. But what I'm saying is that God wants us to get it out of our system. There's only one type of sin, if you're a Christian, that can keep you out of heaven, and that's the sin of refusing to confess that you're a sinner and you need God's forgiveness. Understand, confession is more than just admitting sin. You can admit sin without confessing that it's sin, and we do it all the time. Probably everyone in this room does it. When you truly confess sin, it means you have been convicted of that sin. You despise that sin. You're ashamed of that sin. You're broken by that sin, and you want to turn away from that sin. One of the biggest problems is in marriages today is not caused by husbands and wives who fight. It's caused by husbands and wives who verbally say things that are unkind to each other. It is not even caused by husbands and wives mistreating each other. One of the biggest problems in marriages is that those same husbands and wives refuse to confess 
that they do wrong and confess properly to the properly ask for, and to properly ask forgiveness. A proper confession would be something like this. I'm sorry if I upset you, honey. A proper confession is, I should not have spoken to you in such an unkind way. That's what a proper confession is. Now, let me apply that to the church. I'm going to surprise you all with something because you've probably never thought about this before. Did you know we've got people in our church that hurt each other? I know that's way, I mean, that's just out of the scope of things. We're Christian people. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Did you know sometimes we get mad at somebody and we say something? Folks, that's as much of a sin as me going home and just telling my wife things that are not true and just, just jumping all over her. You see, we need to get the sin out of the church before we can start seeing God do something. Every one of us, to some degree, do the same things. If you're a believer of Jesus Christ, I want you to remember something. The best way to keep guilt out of your life is when you sin, get to God with that sin before the devil does. Because if he gets there first, he's going to make heyday with it. He's going to guilt you every place. And remember, every one of us in this room has sin in our life to some degree. It may not be long-standing. It may not be a biggie. But it's still sin in God's eyes. I want to raise the question to you. Can you be forgiven for any sin regardless of what that sin is? You still must meet the third condition. The last condition. Accept the forgiveness of your sin. If you do your part and properly confess your sin, God will do His part and forgive you. But again, you must come totally clean. Oh, I don't like that last phrase. I'll just tell you about this part. I mean, do you realize that you don't even have to talk to God? God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what's in your life. He knows what you did yesterday. He knows what you did last week. You're not cutting any corners. But it's the God that wrote this that says, I will forgive your sins. Period. But we've got to come clean. You must still meet the third condition. And here it is. Accept the forgiveness of your sins. If you do your part, you properly confess your sin about your sin, God will do his part and forgive you. But again, you must come totally, fully clean. If it's lust, call it lust. If it's bitterness, call it bitterness. If it's looking at pornography, call it pornography. You call it what it is. If it's stealing, call it stealing. If it's lying, call it lying. You're not only you not only call it what it is, then you begin to hate what it was in your life. You despise it because it's breaking God's law. Once you 
properly confess your sin, here's what we read. Look at verse 9 of the passage we're in, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Did you notice he didn't name which sins it was? He says, if you're faithful to, if you confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive them. Now we come to the secret of why we can be forgiven of sin. It's not because sin is not serious. It's because God is so gracious to us. God is faithful and just, we just read. Why did John remind us of those two specific character qualities of God? He's faithful and he's just. Why did he do that? What did he put those in there for? First of all, God is faithful to his word. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his ways and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's God speaking back to us. Let me read that again. Let the wicked forsake his ways. Who's the wicked? If you've committed sin, you're wicked in God's eyes. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's Isaiah 55, verse 7. God has made a promise. It's set in concrete. It's written in stone, sealed with his own blood. He said, here is the deal. When you acknowledge the fact of your sin and you admit the fault of your sin, then you can accept the forgiveness of your sin. When you do your part, God does his every time. If that isn't a true statement, you can take this Bible and throw it in the trash because it's worthless. God has not yet broke one promise, and he's not going to. If he said that, he will keep that promise. When you confess your sin and honestly won't forgive us of your sin, God forgives. God is also just in his work. God simply can't write off our sins. Pretend as if they didn't happen. Sweep our sins under the table. Let God bygones be bygones because God is holy and righteous God. If a judge allows a criminal to go free, even though he is guilty, the judge himself becomes a criminal in sense. How can God forget us of our sin and still be just? It's a one-word answer. The answer is in the word, Jesus. Even though God forgives us of our sins, our sins have to be punished nonetheless. How can God forgive our sins and not punish us? By punishing Jesus Christ for our sins. Here's what Romans 3, verse 25 through 26 said. Listen to this. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time of his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. That's Romans 3, uh, 3 25 and 26. 
Listen carefully. When you take your sins to the cross of Jesus, God must forgive you. It doesn't matter what they are. Because of what Jesus did on the cross some years ago. If he did not, he would not only break his word, he would dishonor his son, Jesus. He can't do either one because God is faithful and just. The word faithful means every time. If I went home and Judy came in and I had a, while she was gone this weekend, man, I'd gone out and I'd party and I had a good time and I'd done some things I shouldn't have. What if I walked in and says, I was faithful 364 days out of this past year. You know what she'd say? That's not enough. I heard about a man who practically every night before he went to bed, he would say, Honey, I've always been faithful to you. One night he told her, I'd rather die than be unfaithful to you. Her reply was, Don't worry. If you're not, you will. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever confessed sin, but after you confessed it, you still didn't feel forgiven? If you have ever had that happen to you, remember this. Your forgiveness does not depend on your feelings. It depends on God's forgiveness of it. Don't miss this part either. Look at verse 9 again. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me go back to old Stalin for just a moment. Now, I don't have any indication that he ever made a confession before he died. But all the things, 30 million people died under his hand. But I believe with all my heart, all he would have had to say is, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And that slight would have been wiped clean. You say, how can you say that? Because he's just like you and I. And folks, let me emphasize to you, there's only one sin that stops you from going to heaven. That's the sin of unconfession. Have you done that today? Let's move on real quick. If you acknowledge the fact of your sin and you admit the fault of your sin, you must accept the forgiveness of your sin. Some people say, well, I've just been too bad. I've done too many things. I, can't, I just can't do that. God says, yes, you can. God does more than forgive our sins. He removes them. He washes them away. Are you cheating at work or cheating in a marriage? Are you mismanaging money? Are you mismanaging your life? Are you drinking too much or talking too much? Have you totally wrecked your life this morning? If you'll just take that one step toward the cross of Jesus Christ, forgiveness is waiting on you. I don't care what you've done is what God says to us. Every sin you've ever committed, every sin you'll ever commit, has been paid for in advance. Paid in full by Jesus Christ himself. It would be dishonest and unjust for God to make you pay for sins when Jesus has already paid for them. That thought ought to tell you something. There is one sin God cannot forgive. 
No, it's not the sin of murder. It's not the sin of rape. It's not the sin of incest. It's not the sin of homosexuality. It's not the sin of abortion. It's not the sin of treason or anything else you want to put in there. The only sin that God cannot forgive is the sin of not confessing your sins to God. That's it. There are no others. On September 28, uh, excuse me, September 22nd, 1998, you may have heard the story. A man by the name of Daniel Crocker confessed to a murder he had committed 19 years earlier. Why did he do this? Nobody tracked him down. They didn't catch him. He was living a normal life. He was not on America's Most Wanted. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody even knew he was guilty. Why would a man confess a sin and a crime that he had gotten away with for years? At the age of 38, with a wife and two young children, Daniel Crocker had come to the point in his life where he realized he was a sinner. He came to the point in his life where he not only acknowledged the fact of his sin, but admitted the fault for his sin. He realized it was his sin that crucified Jesus Christ on a cross. He confessed his sin, received Jesus Christ, and accepted God's forgiveness. As he began to read his Bible and grow in the Lord, God's Spirit began to convict him that there was one major sin he had never confessed. Because 19 years earlier, Crocker, on, the, on, the, on a three-day high of LSD, met a 19-year-old young lady named Tracy, Tracy Bresquez at a convenience store, took her out, and killed her. There were no clues. Detectives had already shut the case down, saying it would never be solved. Everything was quiet for 19 years until this man gave his life to Jesus Christ. After 12 years of marriage and the birth of two young children, he could stand it no longer. He said goodbye to his two children, his wife. He boarded a flight from his home in Virginia, flew to Kansas City. He met with prosecutors, pled guilty, and is now serving a sentence of 10 years in prison. When Cocker was interviewed by a local news station and asked, Why in the world did you do that? He said, I know it's hard to understand, but it was the right thing to do. The reason it was the right thing to do is because it was the only way I could be right with God, both in his life and his life to come. Wow. Would you have the courage to do that? I'm not sure I would. This morning, sin is serious. I know that we hear it's so made fun of now that it's not a big deal. Oh, what's it wrong with going out and having a fair? Nobody will know. Oh, what's it wrong with stealing a few bucks from the company till? And we just let it slide. And folks, Christian people do too. I believe God takes sin serious. I believe he means when he says confess it that we confess it. And not just gloss over it. I honestly believe this is one of the greatest reasons why our churches are not where they're at today because we have people that fill our seats every week that are not dealing with unconfessed sin. I believe God's going to take that serious.
Let's stand this morning. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us <clears throat> as we come to close the service. Lord, you know the needs and the hearts of every person here today. Lord, we just ask that you would just speak to them. Lord, I don't know their sins. I wouldn't know it if I saw it. But, Lord, you see it. And, Lord, there may be some today that say, I need to get back where I used to be in God's army. I need to become part of God's army. I need to be the person that I need to be in Lord, to fight against sin in my life. Whatever the reasons this morning, we're going to have a short invitation, and then we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And we ask you, if you want to participate, you're more than welcome to. But keep in mind, this Lord's Supper represents Jesus dying and giving his body for us to forgive us of sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.